Matt Sullivan here to remind you to stop putting screens on your gutters. Better to schedule a free estimate with the local experts at Gutter Helmet so you stay off the ladder. Visit GutterHelmetIndy.com. With Gutter Helmet, you'll never clean your gutters again. GutterHelmetIndy.com. Good morning. It is Monday, May 8th. It is five minutes after 11. You're listening to Kendall and Casey on 93 WIBC. And we're so appreciative and grateful that you are listening and that you do every single day. Hey, coming up in just a bit, Donald Rainwater is going to join us and he's uh, running for governor of the great state of Indiana. So we're going to devote a lot of time to him on the way. But first, let's get into what's going on with the debt ceiling. Lawmakers are staring down that fast approaching deadline to raise the debt ceiling or risk default. Janet Yellen tells us we have until June 1st. Is the sky falling, Chicken Little? The timeline to reach a solution actually could be a little bit shorter than that. So James Lankford, he is a a Republican from Oklahoma. He was on, I think this was ABC yesterday. And I wanted to just play real quick because then we'll get to get to Don. And I know a lot of people want to hear about his plans on property taxes, the gas taxes, public education. But I had to play a couple of these clips because People are dreaming if they think the Republicans are going to force Biden to do anything. And Biden doesn't know where he's at, so I'm not going to say Biden knows it. But the people who advise Biden, who are in charge of Biden, they know it too. And I thought these clips were super interesting because while Langford identifies the problem, he doesn't offer anything in the solution in terms of, what are we going to do to force Biden to do the thing that we claim we want him to do? And uh, let's start off with here he is talking about Biden's refusal to negotiate on the debt ceiling. We're the only country in the world that has a debt limit like this. There's only two countries that have any kind of debt limit. We're the only one that has a debt limit like this one. The reason we have it is because it forces a moment to be able to talk about debt and deficit and to say, where are we going on this? Deficits are rising very, very quickly. The American people feel it. We feel it in our economy. It's entirely reasonable to be able to sit down and say, if we're continuing to add more and more debt, let's talk about them. But but it's about paying bills you already incurred, isn't it? House and Senate. It's about paying bills the United States has already already incurred. George, it's about, as you know, it's about not just debt that's incurred, but it's also raising the limit of what we can continue to be able to add on this. Debt that's already incurred and also more debt on the way well, that, right behind it. He's right. But this is that the Republicans never do anything about it. That's so disingenuous when they claim now, oh, we got to do something about the debt, the debt thing, the national debt. They never care when they're in power. When it was Trump and McConnell and, and uh, Paul Ryan was speaker at the time, they were raising that thing left and right. There was never any debate. There was never any discussion. There's only a debate and a discussion about it now because they're not in charge and they think Biden might be vulnerable to it. But there's no there's no plan here. There's no we're going to do that. I mean, they started at a weak negotiating position. They should have started on based on we're prepared to shut society down unless we have a balanced budget. Okay, now that's something to operate off of. We're prepared to shut society down unless we finally boldly address entitlement reform. Okay, that's something to negotiate off of. But they came in with a weak position so that by the time it's all said and done, it's going to be so watered down that it's not even going to matter. He did make the point that I thought this was, uh, and I thought this was a good point, he being James Langford, senator from Oklahoma, you have to get the cuts in the debt ceiling because you can't trust Biden and the Democrats to do it later. 
You know, the House bill that they put out was their first parameter. It is the beginning of a negotiation to say the House is well prepared and has been prepared to be able to negotiate this. This will be a negotiation between the Speaker of the House and between the President. That's the same as it was uh, during the Trump administration when it was Speaker Pelosi and President Trump negotiating. So they should sit down. In fact, they should have sat down months ago uh, to be able to talk about this. But for whatever reason, President Biden has determined that he doesn't want to negotiate on this and has said it's got to be clean and has made promises. If you'll if you'll do this today, I promise I'll do something later on on budget. That's just not proved to be true. Joe Manchin can tell you that the president says, I, "If you do this for me today, I'll promise I'll do something later for you." <laughs> Has not worked out for Joe Manchin and what he did. What happened with the Inflation Reduction Act? Mm -hmm. We've certainly seen this movie before. It's time we actually sit down, make a larger plan. The exact same thing that happened under Speaker Pelosi and President Trump when they sat down and negotiated it around a debt ceiling. This is the same thing, like with the border and. Mayorkas saying, you know, well, this isn't our fault. This has been happening for a while, yet they've had two years to do something. This isn't like Christmas morning snuck up on you. You didn't know when it was happening. It's the same date. And now this date is getting, it's shrinking because you've got Memorial Day recess coming up and Biden apparently is going to be traveling as well. So when are they going to sit down and negotiate? Well, at the end of the day, people who are get fired up about this, we're talking about under the Republican plan, it's $47 trillion of national debt in 2033 under the Democrat plan it's 52 trillion of national debt under 2033 neither side is serious about it they're playing politics the Republicans believe they'll get a certain amount of cuts and then they'll be able to come out and lie to you and tell you how much they helped you when in reality they didn't do anything at all somebody who does want to help though Casey mm -hmm. is Donald Rainwater and he's here in the studio yes he's going to be with us for the rest of the hour of course we're opening this up to any of the the Republicans who are, who are running we've opened this up to Jennifer McCormick. Mm -hmm. We want people to know who's running for governor, because I'm done screwing around and getting screwed around by the state of Indiana. I'm sure we'll get a lot of people who would like to ask questions directly and, of course, that phone number, 317-684-8444 if, you, uh, if you've got something on your mind. All right, let's take a break. Rainwater joins us next. It's Kendall and Casey on 93 WIBC. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. It is 14 minutes after 11. You're listening to Kendall and Casey on 93 WIBC. So Libertarian Donald Rainwater announced his intention to run for governor in 24 after netting a historic 11.4% in the 2020 race as a third-party candidate. And he announced right here on this very program on Friday, the Kendall and Casey show, that he's putting his hat in the ring. So welcome to the studio. Nice to meet you. Well, it's a pleasure to meet you, Casey, and hi, Rob. Hey, how's it going, Don? <laughs> he hasn't said a single word to me the whole time he's been here. Right. It's all been you, which is why we don't do interviews in person. Yeah. It's the way it always is. Well, I know that you guys are going to talk a lot about policy and different things, but I thought for myself and maybe the benefit of some of our listeners who aren't familiar with you, you could tell us a little bit about you. Sure, I'll tell you a little bit. I, I won't tell you a whole lot because I think it's uh, counterintuitive to our process to have politicians who talk about themselves on and on and on, all they've done and all they have and all the things that 
they're going to do for you, but uh, they don't talk about the citizens very much. Mm -hmm. I try to talk more about the citizens, but I will tell you that I uh, am a lifelong Hoosier. I was born on the east side of Indianapolis. I was raised on the east side of Indianapolis, graduated from Warren Central High School back in 1981. Uh, went to a semester of college. My dad was a, a United Auto Worker, worked at the Ford plant out on English Avenue for 41 years, retired from there. Um, my semester of college, uh, I came home. Uh, my dad got laid off, so, so I've been familiar with the idea of strikes and layoffs and how it impacts people's decisions at their dinner table. And uh, joined the Navy. Spent eight years in the United States Navy as an enlisted man. Do do, do Navy people hate that uh, Village People song? Um, I, I think secretly we all uh, probably have a little bit of uh, disdain for the connotation that it might bring. But uh, uh, you know, it it all depends on who you are. Okay, I did. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just have been. Yes, you did. Well, but I that's just okay. really really wanted to know get it, a definitive it, thing how the Navy people feel like uh, it, it, the song in the Navy. It, it is your world. I'm just living in. <laughs> anyway, it. go ahead. The rest of you are very compelling. Donald, I want to talk to you about your Navy time. Did you ever serve on a boat? Uh, no, I served on a ship. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> a boat is a submarine. Uh-huh. No, a boat is a submarine. I did go to submarine school, but uh, uh, had a medical issue that disqualified me from submarine service. So I uh, spent about uh, three and a half years. Uh, I was on an oiler out of uh, Norfolk, Virginia for about two and a half years. And I spent almost a year on the USS Kitty Hawk out mm-hmm. of San Diego, California. What would you say, how would you describe your experience in the Navy? What lessons did you learn from there? Well, uh, you know, as a, a young man, um, I, I think uh, you learn a lot about uh, camaraderie, uh, about hard work. Uh, one of the things and one of the, the big um, differences between the uh, oiler that I was on and then the aircraft carrier, when I was on the oiler, uh, you were able to get a lot of stuff done. You knew everybody. You could go to somebody and say, I need this so I can accomplish this over here. And you could do that and take care of the paperwork later. Mm-hmm. Uh, on board an aircraft carrier, there's 5,000 people. Uh, you could have an identical twin brother working in supply, and you'd have to fill out days of paperwork <laughs> to get a pin. So uh, I, I think that the disparity between getting things accomplished and bureaucracy mm-hmm. is something that I learned while I was in the Navy. Uh, Donald Rainwater is our guest. He'll be a guest for the hour today. Of course, he's running for governor on the Libertarian side. Casey? Uh, another question about the Navy, your time and your experience in there. There's currently this drag queen that the Biden administration has enlisted to uh, up recruitment. How do you feel about that? Well, to Wouldn't that all- have made you want to join the Navy, Don? Well, I, I was already in the Navy. <laughs> wouldn't that, and, if you were a young man, wouldn't that just say, here, let's go? Well, I, I don't think that that uh, would influence me one way or the other, um, as far as that de- goes. But I will you? say this. No, I don't think it would deter me. I think that's an individual choice that people have to make. Um and everybody's different, and everybody has a different perspective. I, I do find it um, unusual that that would be a recruiting tactic for a fighting force mm-hmm. 
but that's my personal opinion. And one of the things as a libertarian that I believe, and, and I think, Rob, I heard you say this as I was driving down here, I think most people want to be left alone. And the libertarian <laughs> mantra is uh, liberty is the ability to forge your own destiny, your own path. Uh, I like to tell people that, you know, one of the the foundations of freedom is I can be as stupid as I want to be as long as I don't hurt you or take your stuff. You are uh, a million times, and I mean this as a compliment, it it is, you are a million times better at this than when you started. Well, thank you. And um, I'm curious, when you decided to run again, how much of it is for you saying, I actually know what the heck I'm doing this time? Well, I don't know that, uh, to be honest with you, Rob, if I thought, boy, I know what I'm doing this time, I'd have no idea what I was doing. <laughs> because I, I honestly believe that it's a, a continuous learning process, a continuous improvement process. Uh, and I think, of course, that's one of the things that state government in Indiana is missing is the concept of continuous improvement. But you are the most successful libertarian in state history. Overwhelmingly, you uh, got hundreds and hundreds of thousands of votes. You raised a lot of money, certainly by by libertarian standards. Let's face it, if everybody who went into the polling booth knowing that they should vote for you would have voted for you, you'd have been 25 percent of the vote. And I think a lot of those people, we talked about this during the break, they looked at how well you ran that campaign three years ago now, three and a half years ago now, and they say, well, I screwed up by giving into this idea that if I vote for this guy, a Democrat might get in there. There's no difference now in the past three years have once again proven that an Indiana Republican and a Democrat, at least on many of the financial issues, there's absolutely no difference. And you've been able to kind of build on that over the past three years because you've been out speaking, you've been out talking, you've been out going to different events. You've really grown as a candidate during that time. Well, thank you. And and there are two things that you said there that I want to make real quick points on. The first one is uh, when folks say, well, you know, a libertarian can't win or since the Civil War, there have been 42 elected governors in the United States who were either independents or third parties. That's a lot. So the idea, and there have been eight since 1975. And so the idea that a libertarian can't win or a third party can't win is a red herring. You know, it's something that people who are afraid that the status quo is going to be interrupted are, are throwing out there to distract people. And, and the second point is this. Yeah, we raised more money than libertarians statewide are used to raising. But the reality is that the three declared Republicans right now all had approximately $3 million in their campaign funds on January 1st of this year. Man, I need more rich friends. We can't, That's a reoccurring <laughs> theme of this show, Casey. I need more rich friends. I keep hanging out with you. Well, Am I yeah, making an egregious mistake? And I'm not rich. I'm not wealthy. I had somebody on Facebook yesterday make the comment, well, you've got a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And I was like, boy, I wish you'd tell me where it's hiding. <laughs> where it's buried. Because I'm just an average Hoosier. I've 
got a, a job and I pay bills and uh, probably got more debt than I'd like to have. And, um, you know, I, I, I can't self-fund my campaign. I don't have lobbyists knocking down my door to say, here, uh, we'll write you a big check if you'll just promise to do this for us and ignore what's best for the citizens of Indiana. That's why I run as a libertarian, because I don't believe in selling out the everyday Hoosier for a big donation check or a promise of a job when I'm done in office. Uh, Casey, I want to make sure, because when we come back from our break, I'm going to really start asking Don mean and hard questions about property taxes and the gas tax. But I wanted to give you, the as we go into break, an opportunity to learn more about Don's incredible uh, charisma and personality. Yeah. Okay. So lifelong Hoosier, you've worked in project management, a software engineer. You have a blended family that includes six children, three grandchildren. When you think of you your know chi- more about me than I do. Well, it's right here in front of me. <laughs> oh, okay. But when you when you think of your children and your grandchildren, what part does that play into your desire to be governor of this state? To be honest with you, all of it. Um, the reality is, especially as a third party candidate, um, you know this is an extremely steep uphill battle. But the reality is, is that. I grew up in Indiana during the 60s and 70s. And the Indiana that I grew up in doesn't exist anymore. Um, The economy is different. Mm -hmm. Now, some people think it's better. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I parked over at the Circle Center Mall parking garage, went upstairs to use the men's room, looked around and said, anybody that thinks our economy is thriving needs to come here and look at this place at 1030 in the morning. You were the only car there. On a Monday. (laughs) Well, uh, the stores are all closed. Uh, At 1030 in the morning on a Monday in a shopping mall in downtown Indianapolis, um, I have children and grandchildren, and I, and I'll be honest. I tell people all the time, I can't fix anything, but I can sure try to do everything I can to slow down, and and try to stop for a while the decay that is what government is doing to our society. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, Donald Rainwater, our guest, he was the 2020 Libertarian nominee for governor, running again. We're gonna talk. Let's talk about property tax. You okay? We get oh, into that. Love to. We'll talk about the gas tax. Yeah. We'll talk about education. Yes. All right, Absolutely. we'll do it all. When we come back. It's Kendall and Casey on 93 WIBC. It is 1131. You're listening to Kendall and Casey on 93 WIBC. Donald Rainwater joins us in the studio running for governor of the great state of Indiana. And I've got a date I want to throw out to you and I want to get your impression on that. You received the nomination on March 7th of 2020. That was also the same date that I left Indiana to move to Tallahassee, Florida. It was also the same date that Governor Holcomb said that we were going to have mask mandates. So my question for you is... Is if you had won the election, name one, two, I don't know, a dozen things that you would have done differently to handle the pandemic. Well, let me let me just kind of name the top three here. First of all, and I think foremost, I would have not have uh, issued executive order after executive order for basically two plus years in order to reach my hand out to the federal government for money. I think that that is uh, counterintuitive to the concept that the states are supposed to uh, be sovereign 
uh, and and so the decision to do that was very uh, inappropriate in my estimation. That, that was a big part of what it was about, right? It was Absolutely. about his power, and it was about money from the federal government. Well, it's always about money. But, you know, the other part of that, and I, I think the, the two other things that really stand out is uh, I would have never mandated that any small business in Indiana close for any period of time. That is a decision that each Hoosier and each Hoosier business owner should be able to make on their own. Um, I, I don't need uh, a nanny or a big brother or whatever analogy we want to draw for government, state, local, or federal to tell me how to live my life and what's best for me personally. Uh, I also would have absolutely not violated the First Amendment uh, of the Constitution of the United States and ordered uh, places of worship to close, especially on the Easter holiday. Again, that is a decision if a congregation decides that they think that they should uh, either suspend services or do services online or do services in a parking lot. That is their choice to make, their decision to make, not the government. I also feel reasonably secure in making the statement you would not have had a VIP meet and greet with a domestic terrorist, Malik Muhammad. And I, I believe I would not have, yeah. correct. So my question to you is, and, and I never get a straight answer from the Republicans, the Republican Party, Republicans at the State House. Why have they never done anything to stop any of this? None of them badmouth him, him being Holcomb. None of them challenge him. They've taken away none of these powers. I guess the only answer is they support what Holcomb did. Well, I, I believe that's part A. Uh, I also, and and obviously, if you don't oppose what somebody does, uh, the assumption is, is if you were in their place, you would have done it too, or you would do it in the future, which is why those who are now declared candidates for governor should be held accountable. Why didn't you speak out? Yeah, si- I mean, si- I, I stood up and mm-hmm. spoke out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So why didn't th- why why didn't they and why aren't they now? The other part of that, Rob, is fear. Uh, I believe that uh, we've seen uh, in 2022 all of the candidates who wanted to run in the Republican primary, who the Indiana election. Uh, board held hearings and kicked off the ballot because they were not consistent with what the party wanted to market. Donald Rainwater, our guest, he was the 2020 Libertarian nominee for governor, is running again in 2024. All right, I think you've got a COVID issue again this time, and I think it's very similar in the sense of it's a huge issue, similar in the sense that the Republicans are not acting on it, and it's similar in the sense that people's lives are being... It's affecting a lot of people. Yeah, dramatically impacted, and I think it's the property tax. And I think if there was an issue... I feel like the COVID issue and the liberty and freedom issue was made for you in 2020. You handled it super well. And I think you you are the guy to handle this issue in 2024, which is property taxes, because people are getting crushed. Well, and as you've pointed out, you know, several times, uh, this was a big issue that I was talking about in 2020. Uh, the reality is, is that I believe, first of all, uh, that the property tax on your your personal residence should be abolished. We shouldn't have it. Now, I also know that that is not a practical uh, 
position because uh, government is addicted to the money that yeah. it's been able to steal from the citizens of yeah. Indiana. Uh, and uh, so what I have said is, let's start with something practical. Let's be a little pragmatic. And let's so say... Disappointing. It's so disappointing you want to be practical and pragmatic. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's say that the personal property tax on any residence should be truly capped at a maximum of 1% of the purchase price of the property. So you buy a home now for $250,000, that's the price you pay the property tax on. That's and, correct. And it doesn't go up. Correct. Based on what Joe down the street does. That's right. It never goes up. You always know what your mortgage payment will be if you escrow your property taxes. You always know what the property tax bill is going to be because it's maximum 1% of the purchase price of the property. Now, when you sell the property, whoever buys it would then pay 1% of what they bought it from you for. So if the value of the house goes up to 400000 they're going to be paying 1% on the 400000 Correct. Yeah. Now, I would love to take that. Step two for that is we have a sales tax in the state of Indiana. I believe it's 7%. You may remember that, Casey. They raised the sales tax when they capped the property taxes and lied to everybody about how they cut their taxes. Yes, right. go ahead. Right. But what I would do is I would say, first of all, uh, anybody that's ever heard me talk about assets asset forfeiture knows that I believe that it is not only unethical, but immoral to hold over someone's head the fact that, well, you say you own it, but if you don't pay us our fealty, we're going to take it from you. So, I would say that we cap our 1% cap at 7% lifetime. So, once you've paid 7%, basically 7 1%, right? You're out. Right. That's it. Or if you want to pay 7% at closing. And be done with it. That's right. We pay 7% to realtors. Uh, I'm a veteran, so I get a VA mortgage. I pay a VA funding fee. Uh, that gets rolled into my mortgage. Uh, if you want to roll 7% into your mortgage, you can do that. If you want to pay it at closing cash, you can do that. Or you can pay 1% a year for seven years. Why? Again, it's same issue, I guess, with COVID. Why are the Republicans, I mean, the Thompson bill, they went kicking and screaming on. The Senate said, we're not doing that. And the House just said, okay, thanks. Sorry for having ideas. And then they passed some ridiculously watered down thing that does the bare minimum possible for two years and then it's done. And it doesn't really help anyone. And people like Jim Lucas are out on Facebook saying, and a bunch of these guys, oh no, that's not our problem. That's a local issue. As though they don't set the rules by which assessors assess the property and how the property property taxes are assessed. Why are the Republicans so afraid of an issue that was such a win for them 15 years ago? Well, Rob, let, you're a lot younger than I am. Just, we, say, I remember, we say you're more seasoned on this show, yes, Don. You're more yes. seasoned than I am. Well, you're younger than I am. <laughs> and I remember a movie from the late 60s, I believe it was, that starred Stephen McQueen called The Blob. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the concept behind the movie The Blob was that uh, it, it kind of crawled along and it consumed people. And the more people it consumed, the larger it got. And the larger it got, the more it needed to consume more people. And our state government is exactly like that blob. 
it wants to consume us. It wants to utilize the the uh, work product, our money that we work hard to earn. It the government doesn't earn that money, but it takes and takes and takes and gives us nothing back but an economy that it ignores to acknowledge, and a situation that for a growing number of Hoosiers is completely untenable. It sounds like, sounds like this radio show with me and Casey. I just take and take and take and don't give anything back. <laughs> yes, but you don't get bigger. <laughs> just as ego. It's Kendall and Casey on 93 WIBC. Donald Rainwater is joining us in the studio. Okay, we've touched on property taxes. Let's talk about the gas tax. Consists of two parts. The fuel excise tax and then also the sales tax. Two we, we love one cent per year <laughs> forever well, and ever. Amen. Well, and it's funny because if you read the, pardon me, if you read the paper, they'll tell you that the Indiana General Assembly just renewed mm-hmm. the uh, index for inflation. That's what they call it? For another three oh, years. Oh, index for inflation. Right. And, and, and here's the thing. Once again, I think I read over the weekend that the current total state tax is about 52 cents per gallon. Yeah. So, because it, it depends on what the price of gas is. Right. Because right. if the gas goes up in price, your tax goes The sales up. tax is going to yeah. fluctuate. But the reality is, is if you if you take that out and you do a little basic math, and I'm just going to try to to ballpark this, but if I'm if I'm at round about 52 cents a gallon, and let's say I only have a 10 gallon tank, which most of us know it's more than that, but let's say I just do Speak 10 for yourself 10 gallons a, <laughs> 10 gallons a week for one car. So that's five dollars and twenty cents a week times fifty-two weeks. You're going to end up paying about two hundred and fifty dollars. That's a week's worth of groceries for lots of families. It might be a month's worth for some. Now, my question again is: What are the citizens of the state of Indiana really getting for whether it's the property tax, the gas tax, the roads? aren't very good right uh we see i mean it's it's almost a joke right you see the meme where it's spring look the the road cones are sprouting um and and it's a perpetual what is it it's a a perpetual uh, redistribution of wealth the citizens are paying so that uh, certain contractors uh, can have perpetual road contracts, but nothing improves for the citizenry it, driving the road. You look at, like, if you go to these uh, county Lincoln Day dinners, they're always sponsored by so-and-so architecture firm right. and so-and-so engineering. Yes. And really, it just dawned on me, Casey, it's like Indiana's version of the military-industrial complex is the road funding complex right i mean the because it's like these same people sponsor all these events and they get all of these contracts well you know president calvin coolidge rob said that uh, when you collect more taxes than you need to operate government it's legalized robbery yeah and the reality is is that if our state government were held to the same standards as uh, most 
small business owners uh, or other corporations in the state of Indiana, uh, there would be a lot of people under indictment for corrupt business influence and money laundering in government because that's what we have. We have a lot of money laundering going on. And the people who are are not benefiting from all of this money flying around are the the majority of citizens in the state of Indiana. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, I got to ask you about education. And I got to tell you, you know, I love you, Don. But you, there was one thing during your campaign that happened in 2020 that I've been waiting to tell you for a very long time that I was very disappointed about. So that sound good? Can we get uh, those two things when we come oh, back? Oh, absolutely. All right. Don Rainwater, the 2020 Libertarian uh, nominee for governor, our guest. It's Kendall and Casey on 93 WIBC. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. 49. It is Kendall and Casey on 93 WIBC. Donald Rainwaddle joins us in the studio running for governor in 2024. So Mike Braun, Lieutenant Governor Suzanne Crouch, Eric Doden, also Jennifer McCormick, also in the field, care to comment on your opposition? Well, I'll just say this, Casey, and, and you asked during the break, mm-hmm. you know, how I how I feel about the, the folks that are running. And I think the the best thing that I can say is, is if I had a positive opinion about what I saw out there, I wouldn't have to run. Um, I don't see anybody stepping up who actually is uh, interested in and focused on the citizens of the state of Indiana. I see people who have either uh, supreme self-interest or special interest, um, and and they are obviously here again. If you go out to the Indiana election uh, website and look at who's funding them, you know where they got their three million dollars apiece. Um, uh, it, it's not from the rank and file citizens of the state of Indiana. The Suzanne Crouch is super offensive, right? Because, I mean, she has been a teammate in Holcomb through all of this. And for her to act like, oh, my gosh, I'm so I'm so conservative now. Get lost, lady. Well, I, I, I again, I, I think that all three of the Republicans who have declared uh, have some level of connection to, um, you know, the current governor, I believe you refer to him as Lockdown McGee. Well, let's talk about that for a second, because you know I love you, Don. Don Rainwater, our guest. But you missed, an, uh, and it was right here on this radio show, uh, people were ready with their wallets open to make sizable donations if we had heard a Lockdown McGee, uh, I believe it was Hammer, was the one who had kind of put out the call to arms during the statewide televised debate. And you were so professional and did not call him Lockdown McGee during the t- statewide televised debate. In hindsight, do you regret <laughs> not giving us a Lockdown McGee on uh, to Eric Holcomb uh, directly? Under that circumstance, no, I don't, Rob, because I don't want people to think that I can be bought. <laughs> I don't want people to think that if they write me a big check that I'll say what they want to hear because I think that's what's wrong with our political process and our our government in the state of Indiana. You know, 
politicians are bought and paid for. Yeah, you know, and I think Siniak felt the same way, though, after he did not bust out a Duke of Spendingburg on the statewide uh, mm-hmm. debate stage. Uh, we put a lot of time into these nicknames, Don. I we would not. We would not steer you wrong. No, I, I understand completely. Um, um, you would have gone down in the annals of history uh, calling him Lockdown McGee. I, I understand it. I may have actually gotten at that point uh, 13.4% instead of 11.4%. And I do want to make a point about that real quick is that, you know, you talked about earlier uh, about people who wish they had voted a different way. One of the problems that we have in the state of Indiana is that we have early voting starting before debates start. Yeah. The number of people who reached out to me in 2020 and said, I didn't know who you were. I saw you on the debate, but I early voted. Is there any way I can take my vote back because I want to cast it for you? Mm. And so what we've got to do as a campaign, and one of the reasons why I'm starting 18 months early is... You know, it's a steep, it's a steep hill. It's a steep financial hill. In order to get our message out to all four corners of the state of Indiana and every place in between, we need to be able to raise the same kind of money, uh, preferably $20.24 at a time. Well, that's creative. At uh, rainwaterforindiana.com. Yes, thank you. Um, <laughs> because about 98, if we got about 98,814 individual $20 and 24 cent uh, donations, we'd have about $2 million, wow. which isn't the $3 million that each one of the Republican declarees have, but it would get us close enough to where we could actually market our campaign early and often so that people aren't caught watching a debate after they've early voted. Uh, your ads were great. The TV ones, I really liked those. I know the guy who did them for you, and he did a phenomenal job. Works he, here now, in fact. Uh, that's how far he's come. Um, but real quick, before I let you go, people want to learn more about you. They maybe want to donate or learn more about your position on topics, whatever. What's the best way to do that? It's rainwaterforindiana.com. Easy peasy. It's pretty simple. It is pretty simple. We've got like 30 seconds left. Do you want to tell everybody have a great day? Yeah. Yeah, Don, you have a great day. Well, you, sir, you have a great day, and and it was a pleasure to meet you, Casey. And you have my sympathy for what you put up with on a daily basis. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for coming in. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, Kevin. Good job. And thank you for listening today. We're going to count on you to be back here tomorrow. It's Kendall and Casey on 93 WIBC. By the way, if I'm not here tomorrow, that's because I'm on jury Jury duty. duty. Find out at 530 today.